We are, uh, we're jumping into kind of like a new mini-series. Mini um, I don't even know, I guess those are called limited series on streaming TV now. Mini-series don't exist and let you watch antenna television. Um, but we're jumping into kind of like a short series. And, uh, and, and it's probably like, I want to tell you why we're going to do it before I tell you exactly what we're going to say. So we're going to be talking about money, all right? But let me tell you why, the reasons we're not doing this, okay? We're, we're not asking you for money. Okay, like if you're a part of the Origins family, then, then you understand how we function, that kind of thing. And, and yes, we have a box in the back that you can give. Uh, you can give online. 99.7% of our people do that. They give online because they don't own checks, and that's okay. Um, you know, technology is awesome. So we're not, we're not talking about this because we need you to give more money. Okay, we don't have a building fund that we're trying to, to reach. We don't have any of that. Now, there is a fundraiser going on to send our kids to camp. You can totally buy books to do that, or you can put money in the jug back there, things like that. Um, but, but here's the reason and the rationale. So money, instead of a budgeting issue, we need to think about money as a discipleship issue, like we have to. And because, here's the reason I say that, four, four out of 10, 40% of divorces end or happen because of money, okay? There's, there's one piece of evidence. Um, 20 to 30 suicides, contributing factor, money. If you go and talk to people in prison, ask them why they're there, they were trying to steal someone's money or someone's stuff. From the beginning, from the get-go, uh, we see money and possessions mentioned somewhere between 800 and 2,000 times. And the reason there's a big discrepancy there, it just kind of depends on what we're considering. If we're talking about just money, probably about 800. But if we're talking about money and stuff, maybe 2,000, 2,300 times in the Bible mentioned. Because, man, it's, it's a problem for us. Not... Not having money, but how we feel about money. What do we do with it from an internal perspective? Um, and Jesus addressed it many times. Like of the, of the 11 parables that he, I mean the 40 parables or so that he spoke of, 11 of them had money involved. So almost 25% of the parables that he spoke about, money was there. Either dealing directly with money or using it as a metaphor because people rightly understood what money was and the struggle with money, that kind of thing. Like the parable of the lost coin. Yeah, you understand. You lose something, you want to go find it, you throw a party because you found one coin. Well, it's a little bit extreme, but still, same idea. Like money, 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 money. It's there all the time, all over the place. And so the reason is mentioned so much because I think God knows the yearnings of our heart. He knows the leanings of our heart. He knows our sin stuff. And he knows that money is going to be that deal. It's a necessary. We have to have it. We have to have jobs. We have to use money. We can't function in a currency-less society. It's not possible. So if we're going to have it, then there needs to be like guardrails. There have to be guardrails. Or we're going to put unnecessary weight. We're going to put worship on it. We're going to do a lot of those things with money, and it's just, it's just not healthy. So over the next four weeks, like, probably not going to teach you how to budget, okay? Uh, if you want to learn how to budget, like Abram Curtis is back there, Abram and Heather, they're, they're back there. They would love to talk to you about what budgeting looks like, how to get out of debt, that kind of thing. My wife loves spreadsheets in an unnatural manner, um, and she would be happy to talk to you about international missions and even, you know, missions within our own country. Talk to you more about that later, but also, like, how to build a budget. She would love that. Like, it would be great. Um, we would love to use sticky notes and all that. But over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about, like, the root of this stuff, okay, and how we need to think about it specifically like the gospel and money, 
You know, how do these two things play together and how we need to think about them? So um, we're going to look. I'm not a topical guy, so we're not going to bounce around and cherry-pick scriptures. We're going to look at big chunks of, of passages and, and see what Jesus is trying to say, what the scriptures are trying to say. Um, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open. It will be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the table back there. You can grab one, take it, make it your own, write in it, highlight it, do whatever you want to do, bedazzle it. We don't care. You can, you can have it. Um, and I probably need to pray. Number one, I'm jacked up, and I'm, I'm sweating uh, a lot. It's warm in here. We don't have control over the thermostat, so for that, I apologize, and we're just going to all sweat together. I think that's part of being family. So, God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it's trustworthy. We thank you that it's uh, right to convict us, to teach us, to guide us, and to reveal to us who we need to be. Um, God, thank you for displaying your word through the life, the death, the words, and the person of Jesus. And God, thank you that we can trust him as well to make us right with you. As we look at your word today, God, I pray that you teach us what you desire us to hear. Don't let us add to or take away anything, uh, but just your word, just Jesus, um, just for your glory. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we've got two large chunks of scripture that we're going to deal with today. And we're going we're gonna to go through the first, and then we'll talk about the stuff. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about a therefore. Today, we've got another therefore. And so we get to kind of explore what it's there for. And so we're going to start in chapter 6, verse 19. Here we go. Now, this is during the Sermon on the Mount, okay? Long sermon. Jesus is literally on a mount, Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to a bunch of people. He's correcting some ideologies or some understandings of what it meant to rightfully follow God. And some of those, like, he was calling them back to, like, you know, kind of, you've heard it said this. I'm going to tell you it's actually a bit different. And so now he's going to talk to them a little bit about money. And so he says this in verse 19. I'm going to read through 24 to start. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where three thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're a highlighter or underliner, that's a good one. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So, is your eye. so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so before Jesus kind of launches into this next chunk of, of teaching, he gives kind of three ideas really quickly, and so he's about to have a therefore, and the therefore that we're going to read is about this. He gives us three ideas. The first, in 19 through 21, not laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, uh, but instead we want, I mean, treasures here on earth, but we want to lay up treasures in heaven. Verse 21, he, he concludes that, for where your, your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He puts it out there is that your treasure or the thing that you value most, the thing that you store up, the thing that you cultivate the most, the thing that you collect the most of, chase the most of, that's going to reveal exactly what you love most. Simple idea. The thing that, believe it or not, just as simple as this, the thing that you value most, that's the thing you truly love. The thing you chase the most, that's the thing you truly love. The thing you sacrifice the most for, that's the thing you truly love. Whatever it may be. The reality is, for most people, our struggle is going to be, it's, it's stuff or money. Like, that's reality. Like, if, if we ask people, why do you do your job? It's going to come down to just a couple reasons. Some people may say, well, I love it, but 
Gots to get paid. You know, things like that. You know, whatever it may be. You know, what you chase, what you pursue, what you collect the most will reveal what you love, will reveal your heart. So it's an indicator. Second thing, the second principle that he puts out, verse 22, if we're not reading it in context, a little bit odd, so let's make sure we're, we're taking it within context of everything else. He uses a, a metaphor to talk about something else. But he's like, the eye is the lamp of the body, not the lamp that shines things, but like the lens. The lens is what lamp means here, the way things get in. Okay, the, the eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, you're seeing good stuff, the whole body is full of light. It's good. But if the eye is unhealthy, looking at the wrong things, looking towards the wrong things, pursuing, leading you to pursue the wrong things, everything's going to be dark. It's going to be bad. The second principle is what we seek matters. What we seek matters. What we pursue matters. And like seek is probably a a very gentle word of being like chase with extreme fervency. What we pursue matters. Okay, we already talked about the, the first one. of like where your treasure is, the things that you chase, things that you pursue. They reveal your heart. And now just kind of simplifying that a little bit more, what you chase matters. It's important. It's important to understand. It's important to identify. It's important to name it what it is, call it what it is. It matters. And here comes the third. Watch out. All right? He's getting progressively a little more heavy-handed. Now, granted, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people for the most part, like Jewish people who would have known the Torah. They would have known uh, the, the words, the stories passed down, the precepts of God, the laws of God, all of those things. And they wanted to tout the things that they did very, very well. They wanted people to see. We do this incredibly well. And so now, here's his last one. It says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's the underlinable. You cannot serve God and money. That word could also be stuff. You cannot serve God and stuff, possessions, which are bought by money. You, you just can't. If we are double-minded, we, we can't possibly really be 50-50. It's always going to be 51-49, 60-40, 30-70, whatever the math works out to, but 50-50 doesn't exist. Because it says at some point, at some point, you're going to love one, but you're going to end up hating the other, or vice versa. Like, we can't. You cannot serve God and money. And, just, and I want to say it like this. You, me, I can't do it. Can't be done. At some point, something's going to give. And so... All of this is going to point to the therefore, this next passage. This next passage is super quotable. We talk about it all the time. We probably pull out, you know, most of the time when we're reading or we think about this, we think about one to two lines. Um, but I want to reiterate those three points before we jump in. Number one, your treasure reveals your heart or what you love most. What we seek matters. And you, me, we, we cannot serve God and money. Verse 25, here comes the therefore. Therefore, I tell you, in light of these three ideas... Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles or the rest of the world seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Here's your underlinable. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We've talked about it a lot. Greek, the word for all right there, believe it or not, it actually means it means all. <laughs> it means all. It's the same thing. It has more letters than all, but it's the same idea. In verse 34, he reiterates, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So it gives us these three ideas, these three precepts about where our treasury is, what we seek. You cannot serve God in money. And then he kind, of, he kind of gives us some very poignant examples from a creation perspective. And he uses things that they would see on a regular basis. Like he talks about the birds. He's like, look at those birds. They don't have a job or a 401k, but they're okay. Look at the, the, the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. They're beautiful. They never worried about being beautiful. Like Solomon, who was the richest and best-dressed man, most wise man in all of history. Like, man, the lilies got him beat. And then the grass, like your grass. I hate cutting grass. But we look at it, and we're like, ah, it's beautiful. Maybe. Ours in our front yard is not right now. It's, it's cultivated weeds at best, but that's okay. Like, you look at it, and you're, you're, you're like, ah, what is it going? You cut it down, and you throw it in the fire. But understand, God loves you more than all of these. Why are you worried? And that idea of do not be anxious, like that's not like anxiety that we go to a therapist about right now, and that's okay. If you have that anxiety, go to a therapist. I'm not knocking that at all. But this is like, why do you worry about where these things are going to come from? Why do you let it consume you? Why do you let it push you? Why do you let it control you? This is the idea of do not be anxious about these things. Do not be so concerned about these things. Do not worry about these things. Why are you so so incredibly concerned. Look at God's stuff, the way he's made it, the way he cares for it. The first thing that I think the question that comes up when this passage is often read is someone will say, well, do you mean that I don't have to work? Not what I'm saying. Okay, let me, let me go ahead and put that out there. Not what I'm saying at all. Jobs are necessary. We're, we're teaching our son about that right now, that one day you're going to have to have a job, and it's probably not on YouTube, okay? It's a real job, all right? He has those dreams, you know, and that's okay. You know, maybe someday that'll happen. Everything could change in 10, 15 years, but I'm like, buddy, you gotta, you know, you gotta think about these things. He's 12, all right? But either way, like, jobs are necessary. Money's necessary. We're, we're not going to be able to live apart from those things, and so they have to be there. So this passage is not saying, hey, you know what? Birds, they don't do a whole lot. Lilies, they don't do a whole lot. Grass, it just grows, and then it gets cut down, and it causes people to have really bad allergies, but otherwise it's beautiful. Like, we're not, we're not saying you don't have to work, but I think there's perspective to be given here. And, like, if you read the book of Proverbs, like, Proverbs, like, to be honest, like, we have to be able to, to read it um, in a very wisdom-driven way because that's what it is. It's wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11 is just a quick example. I can turn to it, too. That's all right. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. Really quickly, and if you read through Proverbs, you'll see this repeated very often. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. It's like, look, if you are lazy, if you don't work, if you just lay around and nap all day long, guess what? You're going to be broke. Like Jaden. I don't know if y'all have seen that video, but it is funny. Man, you should look up Jaden's broke. It will make you laugh so hard. But if you sit around and you sit on your hands and you sit all day and you're a sluggard, you're a lazy person, guess what? Poverty, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come. It's going to get you. You're going to be broke. Jobs are necessary. 
money's necessary. You have to have that. And so we're not saying, no, don't work. As a matter of fact, we go back to Genesis 2.15, like the creation account. He took Adam, and the very first thing he did with Adam is he put him in the garden, and he said, I want you to abide and shamar. Now, we don't see those in our English, but abide and shamar. Work it, keep it. Tend it, take care of it. Same words that were used for Levitical priests later. We could talk about that all day long. But the very first thing that he did when he, when he made Adam is he gave him a job. He said, look, I've made all of this. I've made you. Now I want you to go and take care of it. And that's what we do day to day, and we happen to get paid for it. We might take care of, you know, we might take care of people in a medical setting. You know, we might take care of kids in a teaching setting. We might take care of people's toilets in a custodial setting. Doesn't matter. Like, God made all of this. He's called us to take care of it. That happens in the form of jobs. And we're blessed enough to get paid to do it. And so jobs, money, exist. 2 Thessalonians verses 3, 6 through 10 continues this idea a little bit just from a, a New Testament idea. It says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden on any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now this is, this is Paul talking to the early church, and he's like, look, you got to have to kind of pay your way. Okay, like we're called to be generous. We're told, called to take care of one another. We're called to do that. And sometimes there will be seasons in which you're working as hard as you can and things are not lining up. And that is our opportunity to bless a brother or sister, to give, even not even from our excess, but just from what we have. But it's not saying it's an excuse not to work. I got brothers and sisters. They're going to take care of me. I don't have to go to work today. Nope, not what he's saying. Paul was even saying, we didn't even have to do this because we know that as by directive and as, as by privilege, you could have taken care of us just fine and that would have been okay, but we chose to give you an example. We chose to work incredibly hard. We chose to earn a wage. We chose to pay for our food. We chose to do that. Did we need to? No, but we chose to do it so that you could see it, so that you would understand that you need to do it too. And it says, if you have a brother or sister that is among you that is trying to just coast and live off of everybody else, you got to put them out. And I know that sounds harsh, but this is about calling people to repentance, and that's a spiritual discipline issue, again, because money is not a budget issue, it's a discipleship issue. It's not a, it's not a budget issue, it's a discipleship issue. It's a heart issue. And he said, we want you to understand. The idle word right there, you know what an idle car does? It just sits, it does not move. He says, you gotta, you gotta work. Jobs are necessary. Money's necessary. First Timothy 5.8, just one more example quickly, and then we'll, we'll move on. And it says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, that's kind of cherry-picking. I could, I could talk to you about everything that's coming, but this is just, again, Paul to Timothy, spiritual son, instructions that he needs to give to the church. He's like, let people know they have responsibilities. You know, you've got to take care of your family. Because now it's not just about you, not just you sitting on your hands, but it's about your kids and your wife or your spouse. And, you know, you got to make sure that they're taken care of too. And so instructions to the church. If they don't provide for his relatives, their household, uh, members of, of, his, of his family, he doesn't really understand what it means to follow Jesus. He has denied the faith. So jobs are necessary. Money's necessary. We have to have it. As a matter of fact, we, we have to do it. 
So if jobs are necessary, if money's necessary, but yet we're being told in this passage like, hey, do not be anxious, do not worry, look at the birds, look at the flowers, look at the grass. You know, God loves you more, then, then what do we do with this? Well, I, I do. I think I want to repeat. Like this is, it's a heart issue. This is a heart issue. This is about the things that we pursue. If we look at the first two commandments, as they pop up, the first two are about how we worship, who we worship. The first is, do not worship any other gods but me. First commandment. God starts off from a bang. Don't worship any other gods for me. The second is very like it, but it says, don't make any idols. Don't make any other idols and pursue those. And the reason those are so important is because that's what money sneakily does. That's what our finances sneakily do. Like even though we're not fashioning an idol and putting it you know, on our mantle or putting it on a table for reverence or anything like that, what we do with money is we do build for ourselves a kingdom, and that's what we go after. And it actually falls right in line with commandment one and commandment two of the first ten commandments. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't create any and worship them. Well, money, it is the sneakiest of all idols because we're like, oh, I'm doing good. You know, I'm, I'm adding to my retirement, uh, and I'm not knocking that, don't hear me, or uh, I'm paying off these things, I'm paying off that, I'm providing for this, but at, you know, it becomes so sneaky, and in the beginning it was like, I'm going to chase God, but I'm going to pursue this money too. At some point the balance starts to shift, and we realize, man, we're just chasing more money. We're just chasing more money. It is so sneaky, and Satan knows exactly what he needs to get us. Just, hey, just add two more hours to your workday. Two more hours to your work day, you'll be able to pay for that vacation a whole lot quicker, or you'll be able to make that car payment that you probably couldn't afford in the first place, or you'll be able to buy that bigger house that you probably should have been good with the one that you had in the first place. Now, I'm not jumping on anybody, but I'm just saying, just two more hours a day. Then you could just work like, you know, a simple 50, 60-hour work week. Your kids and your wife will be fine, or your husband and your wife will be fine. Your relationships, they'll be fine, and you'll, you'll have more. It becomes just so tricky. And before we know it, We've started pursuing something way other than God, just in a heartbeat. And it was good in the beginning. It was fine in the beginning. Money is a terrible master, but it can be an amazing tool if, if we're not worshiping it. But it's just, it's so tricky. It's so tricky. And this is not to say don't work, don't make money, don't do anything like that, but it, but it is like about, it's, it's about the heart, Again, what we pursue, what we store up, what we stockpile, what we chase after, man, it reveals what we love. And with this issue of the heart coming up so prevalent and being just like, man, it's not about a budget issue, it is about a heart issue, this means that continually we need to ask, like, why am I doing this or that? Like, why am I working so hard? Is it to further a means or is it the means? Like, what am I doing? Like, I talk about all the time, like, the question of why needs to be asked very, very frequently. Why do I do what I do? You know, and, and I've told some people, too, like, some days a job is just a job. It's not your calling. You don't love it, but jobs are necessary, money's necessary. You've got to pay your bills or you, you'll get those things taken away. And so sometimes we have to have those. But, you know, sometimes a job can be a passion, and that's great. But sometimes, sometimes it gets off kilter, and the only reason we work is just to make more, to have more, to do more, to chase more. And it can flip so quickly. And I, I guarantee if I ask for a show of hands... Like, how many of you have struggled with, like, pursuing more money just for the sake of more money? I guarantee almost every hand would go up. And the ones that didn't go up, you'd probably be lying. We've all, bought, we've all fought it. We've all battled it. Because our heart longs for that. Like, the disease of more is incredibly real. Because the crazy thing is, like, uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us that uh, Jesus just says, Look, my grace is sufficient for you. 
My grace is sufficient um, for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Like Jesus, his, his grace is sufficient. It takes care of all the things that we need. But the problem with money is there's always more money to be had. And there's never just enough. If that's what we're pursuing, there's, there's always more to get, more to gather, more to stockpile, more to store away, fill our barns. And it just becomes incredibly easy to chase. But we can rationalize the mess out of it, right? We can rationalize the mess of it. We're going we're to make a better life for our kids. We're going to make a better life for our spouse. Uh, we're going to make a better life for our grandkids. And that's all well and good. But the problem becomes when our heart is no longer drawn to God, it's just drawn to more. And it happens. It happens. 40% of divorces, money. 20 to 30% of suicides, money. You add, again, you go and you interview the people that are in prison right now. 75% stealing, taking something that's not theirs because they wanted something else that didn't belong to them and they couldn't get it on their own, so they stole it. Money. Money. And we're going to talk about, like, you know, the idea of is money the root of all evil? Well, it's the love of money. Scripture talks about that, of just, you know, loving it more than we love God. And that's the reason those first two commandments are so important. Don't worship any other God. Don't make a God. Chase after that. But it becomes easy. We build this life, and then we pursue that life. And so all of this is like leads us to like Jesus' solution. Jesus' solution we find in the, the latter part of this passage that we read, after all the do not be anxious is, and it comes in verse 33. And after giving us all of those examples, he comes to his conclusion. He says, but, but, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The food that you worry about, the clothes that you stress over, the provisions that you feel like you have to kill yourself over. You seek him and his goodness, he'll take care of you. Now, that may not mean excess. Let me just be clear. That may not mean excess, but it may mean excess. It's not up to us. Like, to be honest, like, that's, that's, that's not my lane. And again, like we said a few weeks ago, know your lane, bro. Like, I got to know my lane. The amount that he blesses us with and the amount that we are able to use, like money's a terrible master but an amazing tool, like how much he gives us to steward and utilize and use for his glory, like that's up to him. That, that's his call, not mine. And I know that's hard, but at the same time, it's a hard issue. If I'm worshiping God, I'm also trusting God with the outcome. I'm trusting God with the income too. Man, that's just a quick little accidental wordplay. But it's the truth because it is about the heart of the issue. And again, none of this is to say don't work, don't make money. Okay? None of this is to say, don't work and make a lot of money. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying, and Scripture is clearly saying it, it shouldn't be the thing that drives us. It can't be the thing that we chase so hard because it will become a God. And then it's become an idol. And then, let me give it away, we're in sin. Six-figure sin, seven-figure sin, whatever. We're in sin. The amount of dollars doesn't change it. If that's the leaning of our heart, it is sin. So Jesus' solution, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So what does that look for? Well, I think it starts with this. I think, number one, it starts with uh, be grateful for work and the ability to supply for our needs because those are by grace. Like if, if you have a job and you can pay your bills, I think we need to actually say, God, you know what? Thank you for that. Thank you for that. If you are unable to pay your bills, I'd love to talk to you. Um, but first and foremost, like if you have a job and you're able to meet the needs that you have of you and your family, we just need to stop and say, God, thank, thank you for that. Thank you. And be grateful. 
because we understand that, man, all good things, they're from him. And if it's a job and it's meeting our needs, it's a pretty good thing, even if you don't like it. Some days a job is just a job. I've got a, a chapter, you know, chapter outline written of a book that I'm going to write, probably never, but it's, it's about work from a Christian perspective, and that's one of the chapters, like, hey, today a job's just a job. But anyway, if I ever write that, I'll let you know, but it might be a pamphlet. I don't know. Um, but I could still get it published with a printer, um, like in my house, in a stapler. But yeah, if you have a job and you're able to pay your bills, that, that's a blessing. And by the way, you know what's crazy? And this is that guilty perspective that Americans need to hear and have. Um, you know what it takes to be in the top 1% of the world as far as earners? Top 1% of the world? About $44,000 a year. To be in the top 1% of the world, $44,000 a year. So in South Carolina, if you're just slightly above the poverty line, you're in the top 1% of the world. That's perspective. And man, that stings a little bit. If you haven't been out of the U.S. and you haven't looked at the way that people live, if you haven't been to Guatemala with us, number one, I would ask you to go for a desire to serve, but I would ask you to go to have a perspective on what people do and how happy they can be with so little. Um, you'll see that you are in the 1%, and sometimes we're whiny little babies about it. We, sometimes we are whiny little babies about it. Top 1%, 44,000 plus. That's crazy, right? So if you have a job, be grateful for the work, be grateful for the ability to supply. Um, number two, Colossians 3, 22 and 23. Great passage. Gives us more perspective. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so this is kind of this idea of uh, worship the Lord in your labor. Whatever you do, whatever your job is. And again, and you, I, I like to use that example. From cleaning toilets to mopping floors uh, to, to you know, taking out the trash to starting an IV to doing a heart transplant, whatever it may be, Look at it as a gift from God that you get to do something and make money at it, take care of your needs, but also understand, we're not working for men if we're a part of this kingdom. Our kingdom life declares that even though we call someone boss, they're not our Lord. Our Lord is Jesus. That's our goal, to work for him, whatever we do. And that means you don't go to your job and be like a grumpy Gus all day long. It doesn't mean that when someone goes through the drive-thru, you're like, what do you want? No, we don't. We serve the Lord with gladness, and we serve our bosses with gladness. We serve our fellow employees with gladness. We serve our customers with gladness. Because why? Because we have an eternal inheritance that's been granted to us regardless of our flipping jobs. And there's perspective that we must have. Top 1%, 44 grand. Most of us are well over that. And so that means if we're working heartily as unto the Lord, that we go and we're grateful for our job every day, even on the days that it stinks or the person that we're serving actually smells bad. It doesn't matter. Work as though you're working for the Lord. Your boss is just your boss, but Jesus is king. And he's the one you're working for. He's the glory that you're after. He's the one that's promised you good, not your boss or your business. And we work for him. And that, that's just, have, show the best integrity, show the most effort, try to make your business better. That's not Chick-fil-A business school, that's, that's kingdom school. Now, Chick-fil-A does a pretty good job at it, I'll be honest. Their employees act like they're happy, whether they are or not, I don't know. But when they walk out to my car and they bring me breakfast at like, you know, 7.30 in the morning and it's 34 degrees outside, they're like, I hope you have a great day. I'm like, I hope you get inside and warm up. I don't know. We're not, we're not talking. I'm sure there's other businesses like that. But work with integrity. Work with effort. Seek to make it better. Understand that we're not working as a representative of a company. We're working as a representative of the kingdom. And when people look at us, hopefully, they see our Lord. Now, that does mean, yes, let me say it, it's not just about how we carry ourselves, it's also about what we say, because the gospel is translated in words, so we do have to use words, but up until we get to do that, sometimes it's just how we work, how we work, how we display effort. 
So be grateful for our work and the ability to supply worship the Lord with our labor. And the third thing is this, like just continually ask God what he wants. Like if we're seeking first, like seeking means actually going after it again. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I'll be honest, maybe some of you are working jobs that you don't like. Maybe take a minute and say, God, is this what you're wanting me doing right now? Is this what you want me to do right now? Like, is this the job you want for me? Is this exactly where you want me? And maybe it's not. Maybe he wants to move you on, or maybe he wants to convict you because you're, you're just not doing a good job. You're a terrible employee. I don't know. That could happen. And if you're a terrible employee, guess what? That, that's actually sin. And you need to confess and repent of that and actually be a good employee. Because, again, you're representing the kingdom, not just your business. But maybe God wants to move you on. And so what we do is we start each day like we should start any other day, but this time we maybe even talk about our job. God, is this what you want me doing right now? Is this the job you want me to have? Is this the means in which you choose to take care of me? And wait for him to answer. And if he says no, then say, okay, well, well what, 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 what is it? Do I go to monster.com, indeed.com, do I start to, whatever. Is this what you want me doing? And then maybe you do this, not just asking if, if you feel like this is exactly where you want, he wants you to be, then you ask a second question. Hey, God, how can I use my job, my finances, my gifts, etc., to glorify you more? If I'm seeking your kingdom and your righteousness, which are your good works, how can I use the place that I'm at eight hours a day for your glory? How can I do that? How can I do that? Like, how can I make sure that I leverage every part of my life, not just compartments of it, but even my job, the job that you've given me by grace to supply my needs, which I should be incredibly grateful for, and I should be working that as though I'm working for the Lord. How can I use that more to actually bring you glory? And I'm not talking about little cliche ideas of telling everybody, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you more, you tip better. Not that, but I'm like, like really, like leveraging your job for the kingdom. What does that look like? It could be that you actually start to give of your proceeds. Again, not asking for money. Discipleship issue, not a budget issue. We are actually called to give of what we've been, been given. Because, again, we can continue reading the rest of this. Like, it's not ours anyway. We've just been called to steward it. It's all God's. From fence to fence, it's his. Everything in between. And he says, I'm going to put it in one hand. You keep that hand open so that you can transfer it to another and give it where it needs to go. But never at any time close. Because then you're saying, mine. Mine's wrong because it's not mine. It's God's. And so maybe if you ask God, God, what can I do to, uh, to use my job, my finances, my gifts to glorify you and serve you, it may mean that you actually need to start letting go of something. Let go. Like God calls us to, to be joyful, sacrificial, and regular with our giving. Joyful, sacrificial, and regular with our giving. And maybe that's a struggle for you. And so maybe that's the first place you pray. God, I give money away, but I don't like it. I'm not joyful about it. I kind of do it begrudgingly because I'm afraid if I don't, you're going to dislike me. That's not the point. It's a hard issue and a discipleship issue, understanding it's all his in the first place, and he asks us to, to faithfully take it but faithfully give it away too, regardless of your bottom line. And I know, I know that's going to be hard because you're going to be like, well, I, I, don't, I don't really make enough. Well, sometimes what we give back, sometimes what we do in response is an act of faith and not an act of common sense. I'm not telling you to give everything you've got away, not unless God tells you to. Because he might. He very well might. He told the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler, he's like, um, so what you need to do is you, go need, you need to go liquidate everything. Liquidate everything. And that was a heart issue. It wasn't a finance issue. It was because that guy loved his stuff and his everything way more than he loved God. But he wanted to follow God, but he couldn't as long as he had everything. 
Maybe the question that you need to ask, maybe the question I need to ask, is my everything, is my stuff more important than you? You want me to glorify you with the things that I have? Well, my, maybe the first step is I need to admit they're not mine. They're yours. They're yours. I'm just watching them for a while. I'm just like a, a hedge fund manager. I don't even really know what they do. I just threw that out. They might be crooks and criminals, so don't quote me on that. I'm just a manager of your assets, God. That's all, that's all I really am. Maybe we need to confess that. And then I'll throw this out there too. Maybe you're in a season of life where you, you can't make ends meet. Whatever that season looks like. You know, if, if you're in a place to where you're, you're working as hard as you can, but you're underemployed and, and you can't make it. Um, in that case, you need to be open for God to take care of you in different ways. He may take care of you through people in your faith family. He may take care of people that you've never met, and you need to say, okay. Swallow your pride. When someone asks if you need something, you be honest and tell them, and, and just accept it. Accept the beauty of that. Accept the grace of people being generous. And that's okay, too, because we go and we look at Acts chapter 2. The reason that people were uh, being saved day by day or God was adding day by day to those who were being saved is because they looked at that picture of family, and they were like, that is nuts. That's crazy. They meet together every day. They sing songs together every day. They share their food. They share their money. Nobody's in need because they're taking care of it. It's not a bunch of lazy people. It's people that are working hard, but some people are working as hard as they can. They don't have enough, so that guy that does have enough, he's giving to them. And, man, that's crazy. I want in on that. God's called us to be family, not just family on Sundays, not just family during community groups, but family, bound together by one God, one Savior, one Spirit that indwells in all of us. We call Him Dad. We call each other brother and sisters. And brothers and sisters, we take care of each other. And so maybe you're at a point, you're in a season where you can't do it. You're doing everything that you can. You can't make it. Let us know. Let somebody know. Don't be so proud that you don't eat. We've called to take care of each other. Maybe you're on the opposite side of that. And we've, we've had this happen within the faith family so many times in the past three, four years, and I wish I could share people's names, but that wouldn't be right. But when people come up and say, hey, is there a family that cannot make it right now? I would like to help them. And we're like, absolutely. Thank you for offering. And they just do. Like anonymous on both ends. You don't know who's giving to you, and you don't know who you're giving to, but you're trusting the church to steward it. And I'll be honest, from an outside perspective, that's nuts. Thank you for allowing us to do that. And I pray that you do it more. Because there are families, there are families that we're connected to. Like, they are working as hard as they can. It's a season, but working as hard as they can. And, and they don't have enough. So their responsibility, confess it. Throw it out to the family. Our responsibility, if we do have enough, is say, who can I help? I don't even need to know their name. <laughs> I just need to know their family, and they have a need. None of that's possible if we worship money more than we worship God it doesn't make sense. We ask for returns on our investments. We ask for explanations. We ask for names. We ask for bottom lines. We say, I'll help you if. I think the gospel, what it declares is the strings that we think are often attached, Jesus already cut all those. He already cut all those. And he said, man, my grace is sufficient for you. It's all you need. Seek me. Seek my ways. Seek my goodness. I'll take care of the rest. That is a huge exercise in faith. Huge exercise in faith to trust God just, just to take care of the rest. Again, doesn't mean we're lazy, doesn't mean we won't work, but it does mean that our heart, our heart must pursue the right thing, and that right thing is God through Jesus, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us by grace through faith, only possible through Jesus, like we have to pursue God. 
and then he'll take care of the rest. It'd be awesome at the end of this series, and I'm going to go ahead and ask it as a challenge. It would be awesome at the end of this series if one or a few people uh, would be willing to, to just share their story of like, this is how God took care of me when I didn't think it was possible, but I just trusted. You know, just a snippet. Be like, during this season of my life, things were so bad. Or even maybe in this moment right now, like, I'm struggling, but God's providing. And so, in a couple weeks, when we wrap this up, if you feel so led, we'd love, to, we'd love to put you up here. You can sit on a stool, you can hold a mic, whatever you want to do. But just to say, to God be the glory. I sought him. He took care. Let us worship with you in that. Be bold, be courageous. Just share. We'd love to hear it. I would encourage you this week, and, and I would encourage you to do this every week, but in light of this, like, really ask God, God, where's my heart? Where's my heart? Is it on my things and my stuff, um, or is it truly on you? And if it's not on him, just take that opportunity. God, I'm sorry. I've been chasing the wrong stuff, the wrong things, the wrong bottom line. Forgive me correct me, and let me chase you. It's repentance, confession, repentance. Um, but then I would, I would encourage you to, to kind of go back over those, those kind of ideas at the end, like, God, how can I use my job to serve you? How can I use my job, my finances, my gifts to serve you, glorify you? Um, and then just trust God to answer and be obedient when he, when he speaks. Those two things. Let me pray, and then uh, we're going to have some announcements. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you for uh, guiding us through just understanding that, that you should be the object of our worship. You should be the object of our pursuit. If we're seeking something, it should be you, your kingdom, your ways, um, your good works, and then trusting you with the rest. Um, and God, just admittedly, I, I know that's hard. I know that that's difficult. I know that it's so hard not to worry about where it's coming from tomorrow. Um, or how we're going to put food on the table, or how we're going to clothe the family, or how we're going to do this and that. But God, you just remind us, you love us far more. You love us far more than you love these other things that we get to see. Uh, and you'll take care of us. Father, I pray that you would grow in, inside us the ability to trust you with the outcome, to trust you with supplying our needs. Um, and God, and in the process of, of you doing that through jobs and through generosity and through your miraculous ways, God, I pray that we glorify you by working as though we're working for you, because we are understanding who we represent. And God, I do, kind of not even from a selfish perspective, but from a kingdom perspective, I pray that the people of origins would be the absolute best employees or best job owners or whatever they do, the best at what they do, because they're working for you. And I pray you'd receive the glory for it. You'd grow your kingdom as a result. You would allow us to speak your gospel into people's lives that need to hear it. Um, and God, you would do good works. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his words. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, if you guys would like to go ahead and stand up.